Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Welcome everybody. You see uh, behind me, my little Zendo here in Wilmette. Uh, and I'm so uh, pleased that you're able to join me for this exploration. Um, I'm, uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Peg Syverson. I'm the senior teacher at Appamata, and I'm, uh, I'm delighted to be with you. Um, this is a subject that has uh, long fascinated me and that I've wanted to, uh, to uh, share an ex sort of exploration with you uh, of it. Um, it was uh, the most recently was stimulated by my grand, little granddaughter who's turning three this week. So I had the delicious duty of uh, watching her while my son and my daughter-in-law had to go out. And uh, before he left, my son said to me, well, I think you should know she's in the why phase. So she's asking why about everything. And, um, and here's what I do when she says why. I say, well, why do you think? And I thought that seemed like a really good plan. So uh, they had no more, no sooner left. And I explained to her they were going off to help Susan's uncle with his computer. And she said to me, why? And I said, why do you think? And she said, talk about it. So this <laughs> put the ball squarely back in my court and I, uh, and I thought, well, okay, let's talk about it. Uh, so today we're gonna begin this series of classes on the mystery of cause and effect in the Buddhist teaching. So the Buddha described this teaching as subtle, profound and difficult to comprehend. We will draw on traditional and contemporary texts and commentaries to investigate how our concepts of cause and effect permeate every aspect of our lives, <clears throat> both as individuals and collectively, in families, workplaces, organizations, institutions, and societies. So as Joanna Macy writes, in our personal lives, assumptions about cause and effect provide the very ground for our sense of coherence. That is, the ways we find the world intelligible and the ways we posit our relationship to it. And I might say to each other, do we see events as random, discontinuous and beyond our control? Or do we see effective relationships that give leverage to our actions? These are essentially questions of causality and they shape our attitudes and behaviors. They are basic to our notions of responsibility and our attributions of blame and guilt. They color our encounters with conflict, guide our efforts to find solutions. Causal assumptions even affect the relative reality we ascribe to ourselves in our world. So Macy links developments in scientific thinking, particularly systems theory in, um, this book, Mutual Causality in Buddhism and General Systems Theory, which I highly recommend, um, 
She links those uh, developments in scientific thinking to a paradigm shift in how we view causality through concepts such as synergy, feedback, causal loops, symbiosis. These concepts suggest that events affect each other in a back and forth manner, creating circuits and networks of contingency where causes and effects interact reciprocally. She notes, what this new paradigm challenges is not the notion of causality itself, that events modify each other in objective and intelligible ways, but rather the manner in which causality has been perceived. It challenges the idea that causal action flows in one direction only, from cause to effect, from producer to produced, like a series of billiard balls or falling dominoes. So what were the Buddha's original teachings on causality? He taught this concept uh, over his entire teaching career over and over and over again, far more than he taught either the Four Noble Truths or the precepts or anything else. Um, so um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to start with the questions that he was asked by, by Kashapa, who was a wandering ascetic, not even one of the Buddha's disciples. But, you know, the Buddha would, uh, would sit down in the afternoon after his midday meal and, uh, and sort of open the floor for questions from anyone. So Kashapa um, asked him this. He says, we do not wish to ask Master Gautama much. Then ask what you want, Kashapa. How is it, Master Gautama? Is suffering created, created by oneself? Not so, Kashapa, the Blessed One said. Then, Master Gotama, is suffering created by another? Not so, Kashapa, the Blessed One said. Well, how is it then, Master Gotama, is suffering created both by oneself and by another? Not so, Kashapa, the Blessed One said. Then, Master Gotama, has suffering arisen fortuitously, being created neither by oneself nor by another? Not so, Kashapa. How is it then, Master Gotama? Is there no suffering? It is not that there is no suffering, Kashapa. There is suffering. Then is it that Master Gotama does not know and see suffering? It is not that I do not know and see suffering, Kashapa. I know suffering. I see suffering. Whether you were asked, how is it Master Gotama is suffering created by oneself, or is it created by another, or is it created by both, or is it created by neither, in each case you say not so, Kashapa. When you were asked, how is it then Master Gotama, is there no suffering, you say it is not that there is no suffering, Kashapa. There is suffering. When asked, then is it that Master Gotama does not know and see suffering, you say it is not that I do not know and see suffering, Kashapa. I know suffering, I see suffering. Venerable sir. Let the Blessed One explain suffering to me. Let the Blessed One teach me about suffering. So here's where the Buddha starts to make a clear, very clear um, discernment for Kashapa and for us. Kashapa, if one thinks the one who acts is the same as one who experiences the result, then one asserts with reference to one existing from the beginning, suffering is created by oneself. When one asserts thus, this amounts to eternalism. But Kashapa, if one thinks the one who acts is one, 
the one who experiences the result is another, then one asserts with reference to one stricken by feeling, suffering is created by another. When one asserts thus, this amounts to annihilationism. Without veering towards either of these extremes, the Tathagata teaches the Dhamma by the middle. And here's what he teaches. <clears throat> From ignorance, as a requisite condition, come fabrications. This is from the uh, Paticca Samapada Vibhaga Sutta, which is in the, um, uh, um, the Nikayas. So from ignorance, from ignorance as a requisite condition come fabrications. From fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. From consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. From name and form as a requisite condition comes the six sense media. From six sense media as a requisite condition comes contact. From contact as a requisite condition comes feeling. From feeling as a requisite condition comes craving. From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging, sustenance. From clinging, sustenance as a requisite condition comes becoming. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. From birth as a requisite condition then, aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair come into play. Such is the origination of this entire mass of stress and suffering. So in this teaching, you might um, be tempted to think of this as a sequence, but it's not truly a sequence. It's more like a network of mutually reinforcing um, influences. Cause and effect is um, the uh, kind of um, ground of relating, I would say. So, uh, so when the Buddha wanted to define these things, he gave these definitions. Now, what is aging and death? Whatever aging, decrepitude, brokenness, graying, wrinkling, decline of life force, weakening of the faculties of the various beings in this or that group of beings, this is called aging. Whatever deceasing, passing away, breaking up, disappearance, dying, death, completion of time, breakup of the aggregates, casting off of the body, interruption in the faculty of the various beings in this or that group of beings. This is called death. So he's going to go through and he's um, explaining each of these terms and which birth, whatever taking birth, descent, coming to be, coming forth, appearance of aggregates, and acquisition of sense media of the various beings in this or that group of beings. That is called birth. So this is the Buddha's earliest and um, most complete teachings on Paticca Samuppada, on dependent arising. But this is such a subtle uh, and challenging um, teaching, I think, for us to actually uh, internalize or get experientially, because we continue to try and figure out what's the cause of something, what's the effect of something. So the term that he used, Paticca Samuppada, um, explains that it's very, Macy explains, very difficult to translate into English. But upada means arising, and samupada means arising together. 
Paticha is used to denote grounded on or on account of. So literally the compound term Paticha Samapada would mean the being on account of arising together. So I think this is uh, very challenging for us. And as he said, as the Buddha said, subtle, complex, profound, and difficult to comprehend. I want to talk a little bit about that in, in maybe um, a bit more contemporary terms. So, um, so we can think about it in terms of what, what does that have to do with us in our everyday lives and, and, um, and our practical applications? Because it's not just a theory, it's an observation about the way things are. So, um, so as you noticed from Kashapa's questions, there were four views of causation. They were common in uh, the Buddha's time already in philosophy and, uh, and in spiritual training. And they were common in the West from Western philosophers. Um, so we share that. The first one is uh, that, uh, that of internal causation. Something's inherently that way. Um, it has that potential that gets realized. The second is external causation. Something moves because it's pushed. Something causes by external means, a change in something. Then the third uh, view or model is both. So it's internal and external forces working together. And the fourth one is neither, which means causation is entirely accidental. So there's no real cause of anything. Everything happens randomly. Those were the four views that were common in the Buddha's time. So we can think in our contemporary time of some examples, for example, in psychology, when we think about anger or depression or addiction, um, there are four main explanations. One is um, internal. So that means it's genetic. Um, it's your biochemistry, it's your nervous system that's creating these uh, psychological issues. The second model, external causation, is it's your environment, it's parental neglect, it's abuse, it's society that have driven you into this, these states of mind. The third is the both you know, model. Um, and there I think you find things like attachment issues, uh, trauma, family systems as both internal and external causation. And then uh, the fourth, which most psychologists wouldn't endorse, but the general public often does, some kids are more resilient and some kids are not. So it's a sort of an accident, happy accident, one way or the other. Um, in uh, daily living, for example, you might be aware that you're going to be late. So the internal uh, cause and effect model is, I should have left a half an hour ago. I should have planned for this. What's wrong with me? Why am I so late getting out of the house? What have I done? You know, now I've made myself late. Um, that's the internal causation, external causation. Every damn light is red. This traffic is making me late. Um, then the third is, um, I was late getting out of the house and now I'm behind a bus. So that's the both, right? And the fourth, oh, geez, somehow I'm going to be late. So it's just sort of some accident has happened, and then I know I'm going to be late. So we use all four of these views, uh, most of us, but we do have our favorites. We do have our tendencies. 
Um, and um, often um, our naive, sort of naive assumption tries to work backward from an unwanted effect to find the cause and figuring, eliminating the cause will eliminate the effect. So in a, we think of this in a very linear way. And, and this is the very reason why so many of our, um, our issues, social issues and relational issues, uh, seem to be so intractable because we're looking for the single cause that we can eliminate, um, or we're looking for the single linear chain of cause and effect that we can, uh, that we can create. So um, there are some corollary factors that are involved in this um, that impact our way of being in the world. So assigning causes evokes emotions. So some of those emotions might be, um, you know, or some reactivity, some kind of reactivity. So maybe explanation leads to some kind of satisfaction. Oh, that's why that happened, right? Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what caused this. Um, or some relief, of course, it's obvious. You know, I should have left the house 10 minutes earlier. Um, or blame, some blame yourself or blame others. Uh, might lead to sorrow. Why did this have to happen? Um, or to some disappointment or anger at yourself or at others or at the world. Um, it might lead to compassion. It might lead to regret. There are a whole host of emotions we can investigate that are uh, triggered or evoked by this um, uh, assigning cause, causes to effects. Uh, assigning causes also serves our ongoing project, which is to explain, predict, and control. This is hardwired into us. And we, from the very beginning, uh, our species has looked for patterns in the world and then tried to predict what's going to happen so that we could control it. Uh, as far as we know, um, this is not so common in other species. So also assigning causes affirms the self and perpetuates the illusion of substantial being or identity. So um, it's very helpful in our self project. Linear causality gives a reassuring sense of order and balance that just unfortunately happens to be wrong. But it is something we cling to and we often you can often find yourself sort of manipulating things to make it seem like that's actually the way things happen, you know, in a, in a nice linear form. Um, oftentimes when we tell our story to somebody, uh, we put it in a form with, uh, with very neat linear causality. So then I decided to go back to graduate school. Um, so this leads to painful questions oftentimes, like, did my negative thoughts cause my cancer, right? Um, should we have been stricter as parents? Uh, did I make the wrong decision in taking this job? Uh, should we force him to continue his piano lessons? And what can I do to make my boss respect me? So there's all kinds of things that we uh, have um, organized our life around in terms of our causal models. Uh, if I want to do well at my job, um, should I learn my craft 
Should I remove some of the obstacles to my progressing or advancing in my career? Um, should I um, uh, try to do both at the same time? Uh, should I just hope for the best? So just be a good person and hope for the best. So we work backward as the Buddha did after he discovered this dependent origination, he worked it backwards. And so we work from effects, trying to discover the cause or causes, and invariably we look for them in one of the four categories, internal, external, both, or neither. So our models of causation and the associated emotions shape our thoughts and our words and our actions. You maybe have noticed this. Um, from that emotion state, we construct a sort of logical paradigm of what we should say, what we should do, how we should act in a situation. And um, because cause and effect are uh, relational influences, we often think unilaterally in our own relationships. So we think, uh, in order for this relationship to get better, I have to fix myself, or the other person has to fix themselves, and or I maybe I can fix them. Um, we we look internally, we look externally, and we say we're going to have to work together. We're going to have to have couples therapy, um, or we say, well, whatever happens, happens. Who can say it's an accident? So those models create very different ways of relating, right? Wouldn't you uh, imagine? So um, we also have a conscious and unconscious dependence on causal models. So it's hard for us to have a window into our unconscious models of causation, but they show up when we feel suddenly some disappointment um, or we have some expectation um, that those are typically based on our causal models and maybe point to some that are unconscious to us or non-obvious. So this it's the nature of this relational influence that I think is what the Buddha is actually um, creating a revolution in, the, uh, because he's talking about process instead of um, power, uh, instead of what has power over another, uh, talking about that process of arising together. So causality is a relational influence and the real question is, what kind of a relationship is it? And uh, what's its directionality? Because in, uh, in Buddhist thinking, that directionality, that's mutual, right? Causes and effects are mutually creating each other. And, uh, and in the conventional Western and even the Indian models of causality, there's a linear cause then effect. And it's, uh, it's, it's based on, uh, um, what I would think of as really uh, a more fractional time scale because it's looking only at a moment in which there's one way um, influence and not in the larger picture of how these influences are playing out. Almost nothing is the result of a single influence. So, so these um, causal models create expectations and assumptions about responsibility and power and access to information and resources. We think, um, uh, I, I think you can see this in sort of 
the wide range of views in society about things such as racial injustice or um, uh, the way institutions wield power. So they're based on a causal assumptions that uh, if we do X, Y will happen. Um, if we lock up the criminals, then we won't have any crime. That's a good example. So causal models are also collectively held by tribes, by organizations, by institutions, societies. Um, and causal models that are shared create social cohesion, so uh, as well as principles for belonging or exclusion. So we make a certain assumptions um, about causes and effects that have an impact on even such things as whether someone has a sense of belonging or whether we believe someone belongs or doesn't belong. So, so we can easily see then that causal models, at least conventionally, the simplistic and um, overly simplified causal models that we conventionally hold, um, create a tremendous amount of suffering. Um, and that suffering is created by blaming the victim. Uh, somehow you caused this suffering you're experiencing, uh, punishing the perpetrators, um, social division, uh, denial of issues. Uh, this is the accidentalism thing. Well, yeah, maybe climate change is happening, but you know nothing's causing it. It's just the ups and downs of uh, climate. And uh, cultural misunderstandings are commonly caused by different causal models. Uh, what causes um, child abuse, what causes alcoholism. So there are a lot of cultural misunderstandings about cause and effect, and it causes relational ruptures between people at, in the workplace, at home and families. It causes conflict, internal and uh, internal conflict inside yourself, um, relational conflict, societal conflict, and it results are in things like divorce or war or political unrest, simply because there are different causal models. It's probably obvious to you that um, in the West, we have a certain view of uh, uh, certain causal models of illness, for example. So we think illness is caused by viruses, bacteria. Uh, we have medical models and scientific models. What causes illness? And uh, in other cultures, it's not the same causal model. So in one culture in Africa, there is a model that um, all illness is caused by social rupture of some kind. So whenever someone is sick, they bring the entire village to that person's hut. They have a ritual of cleansing and, um, and remorse and weaving back together again the, uh, the fabric of that village, the social fabric, in which the person is woven back into it. Well they have about the same success rate as Western doctors. So it's an entirely different model of cause and effect, right? What causes this dis-ease? So um, I think this is such an important teaching and it's so difficult to begin to really tease it apart. It's gonna take us over the next five classes to work with it um, and to try and uh, give ourselves enough space to see what are the implications really of this kind of uh, uh, shift in our thinking about cause and effect.
you may already have made that shift. It's, it's a very groundless feeling uh, to, to not just throw up your hands and say, well, could be anything, you know, like I, I, I really don't, I, I won't assign any causes then to anything. And that also is a mistake because we do have influence and influence is, um, is one of the things that we want to understand how we have an influence. So even in our spiritual practice, we practice initially, we practice for some reason, right? We want to get calmer, we want to be less stressed, we want to be better parents, we, um, we're curious, um, but we have a sort of causal model that's, that launches us into practice. And thank heavens that we do, because we have some feeling that if we do something, something will be different. As we practice longer, we begin to realize, wow, it's way more complicated than that. Um, sometimes I don't feel like sitting and I sit anyway, and, um, and I, these are the things I'm noticing, but they're not exactly the thing I thought I was starting out to do. Um, so for example, I wanted to be a better mom and I discovered, well, I can't really, there's no way to say better or worse. I just feel like, I don't know. I seem to have a little more patience maybe. I don't, you know, but you, I can't tell somebody we should sit. So you have more patience as a parent. So, um, so this is where you start to see that these effects and causes are interrelated. And as I have a little bit more patience, I'm sitting a little bit more easily. As I'm sitting a little bit more easily, I'm feeling a little more grounded. As I'm feeling a little more grounded, I don't pop off at my child so much. So there's a kind of, um, and as I do that, I feel better about myself. It makes me be able to sit a little bit more easily. So there's this, as you can see, there's this compounding effect um, in our practice. So on the spiritual path, the first thing you begin to suspect is that it's not a linear road um, and also that it's not a, a super highway that everybody knows. Um, it's really a unique and distinctive experiential immersion um, in life as it is and our responsiveness to it. So what you can't even say, well, because I was sitting, X happened. Who knows? I mean, uh, <laughs> I. <I'd, laughs> I told Joko at one point, well, I've been sitting for 10 years now. And she said, what do you think is different? And I said, how would I know? You know, how would I know what would have happened if I hadn't been sitting? I have no way to know that. So um, I have a little activity. Um, and I think this might be helpful in beginning your own reflection about this. So it's a set of three questions. Um, and if you have something to write with, uh, and uh, well, some paper and a pencil, maybe you can uh, make some notes about this. And then I'm going to see if we can um, have some small group discussions about what you discover. So, so what I would like you to do the first thing is and you're, you don't have to write an essay about this, just make some notes for yourself. Within the past 24 hours, choose an event, a situation, or an experience. And just make a little note about what that is. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask a series of simple questions. So just the simplest um, response that comes to your head immediately. It's just gonna be a phrase or maybe a sentence at the most. It happened because,
And that was because, and that was because, and that was because, okay, question number two, that was question one. And this might be the same event or experience, might be a different one. You said or did something in order to. So you can think about it, it might be some other. But in the last 24 hours, you said or did something in order to. So that. So that. So that, that's question number two. Question number three, last question. What do you think is your default causal model? Internal, external, both, neither. Sometimes it helps to think about when there's some kind of stress or upset. What do you immediately think? So um, Kim, you're hosting, and I think it'd be great to have breakout rooms. Um, if we can have groups of four, um, not including me, um, that we have 30, we would have 32 people, so. Mm. And we could do, Breakout rooms for, let's say 20 minutes and give people an opportunity to talk about what they have learned or observed or discovered about this relationship and these um, expectations that we have. Or anything related to what you were writing about. Welcome back, everybody. I hope that was productive, generative. Um, I'd love to hear some of what you discovered in your group. Um, if you want to raise your hand, we can hear a little bit of what your experience was uh, with the exercise or with your your partners and your in your small group. So the um, down in the bottom right-hand corner where it says reactions, you can uh, you can use that button to raise your hand. Ah, uh, Joel, and then Gail. Thank you. Well, I was in a wonderful group with uh, Darcy and um, Laura and Lisa, and um, time was very short. We had some important things to talk about, but couldn't couldn't mm. get to everybody. So, although it seemed like a long time when we first started, but what uh, what came through for me, or what what seems most generative to me, is the is the way that 
we shared things where we were able to realize or recognize the lenses that we're looking through, the, the ways that we frame issues that reinforce the issues, you know, that uh, we, we construct. And then we construct solutions that also reinforce the issue. Uh, and uh, I don't know, there were some some wonderful things that were shared and and, then, and and I was really grateful for the the heartfelt way that people were responding as well to mm. what was shared. Mm. Gail? Um, our group got off to a um, kind of a, a you know a little uh, we tried to figure out how we were going to manage all this that seems to be a theme <laughs> and uh, we had some glitches where somebody you know wasn't able to speak and had to come back in because of the computer issues and so on and and um, and then Ellen uh, was there but she had missed the whole question and answer thing but I think what I got out of the entire group, and they were, it was just really wonderful um, to do this exercise, is to notice how, how I start out with external reasons for why something happens. And then it, as I go deeper, it immediately starts to do a UE into the internal. <laughs> and, you know, it starts out that something happened because of Mother's Day, and then it ends up you know, because I was a teenage mom, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, um, and I, I kind of listening to, to some of the others, I was noticing sort of the same pattern, and we were all women in our group as well, and uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, um, I have no idea, but it really um, helped when you were talking about that these causal models very often cause suffering in us, you know, feelings of insecurity or, um, uh, you know, and they even start out as something that you wouldn't even think, like going to get glasses. Mm -hmm. That was my second thing. All of a sudden degenerated toward the very end into, I don't want to be a burden on people. I have to, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I thought it was a very interesting exercise, and thank you, uh, Peg. This is promises to be a very interesting class. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for being in it. I'm so happy to see so many people. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. yeah. So many of our dear friends together. <laughs> so I think Claudine, you had your hand up. You're muted still. Thank you. I am not going to speak about what you asked, sorry. My daughter is going straight away to the hospital. She's, she hasn't been very well for five days. And I, I might not be able to, to stay with the group until the end. But please hold us in your, in your hearts because I hope everything is going okay. Thank you. And if she's away before the end, then I will come back. Okay? She, we, we will send Netta from everyone. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other re reflections you'd like to share? <laughs> so, like, is it all right if I say something? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think I, I I really noticed the the swaying back and forth where the causal effect was. You know, situation happened and then it was all my fault. It was it, everything was my fault and. And it, it, it was, and then I'd just find myself sinking a bit. And then I think with the sinking, it was almost like, oh, well, maybe it was some looking at them then to try and get away from that sinking feeling. And then maybe they shouldn't have talked to me like that. Maybe they shouldn't have been like that, you know. And then, and then back to myself. Maybe I'm just too sensitive. <laughs> maybe, maybe you know, I'm just hearing everything wrong. Maybe, you know, I just need to sort of, you know, look at things a bit clearer or. And, and then and then I go to the accidental, you know, kind of like, oh, they didn't mean it. It was an accident. We just bumped into each other, you know, like people do yeah. in life. And, and the, these things just happen. <laughs> and then right and then right back again to, oh, no, it's me. I need to look at my inner processes. I need to look at what's going on and, you know, and, and, and kind of really looking at, at why I get triggered and, and, you know, the younger parts of me getting triggered and how they kind of can make things a bit more than 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 what they are if you like <laughs> and then i go back to but yeah there was reasons though because that those things shouldn't have been said like that and it could have been said differently you know and then and then it all kind of starts to settle once i've flapped it all out and gone back and forth and then it all settles and then i notice a weight like flint said the other week about or this week that about um, the weight of love, you know, because I care about these people and I love these people and all that hurt and rejection and sense is the weight of love underneath it all, that that hurt that that the body's trying to kind of make sense of and and, and get away from and make less rather than turning towards it and and thinking, oh yes, I need to sit with that. Just <laughs> sit with it and just just be with it, you know, rather than doing this dance. You have the uh, you have a causal pinball game going. <laughs> <laughs> explains a lot. <laughs> Just get that ball and play and <laughs> that's why sitting with it is so helpful for you because it settles down that bouncing around uh, among causal models, any one of which could be plausible. <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I think that I think a lot of us do that, you know, bounce among those different models. Well, if it's not this, it must be this, you know. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> and Kim, I think you had your hand up. Yeah. So um, last night I was ready for bed and I then noticed some dishes weren't put away. And then I um, was putting a glass in the dishwasher and hit it against the counter and broke it and then had to get out the vacuum cleaner, you know, on and on and on. And I remember in a depth of practice once, we had an Indian Buddhist who came and joined us. You, you were there. And he, he kept saying uh, that uh, birth was the cause of death. And that really, um, I'll always remember that. 
And so I got down way before that. It was my parents being born that caused the glass to be broken. <laughs> and then I got down to, you know, the earth being created. And then I got down to the Big Bang, you know. Uh, and I was surprised with the other people in the group that they didn't get back to the Big Bang because <laughs> I thought it was so obvious to me that that was the problem. <laughs> that was the start of it all, right? You know, and I did notice that I blamed Linda for not putting the dishes away. And then I blamed me being tired. And then and then as I thought more about why was I tired, then I blamed my life. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious about, um, you know, we have these different parts that we keep talking about. And was that really me? Like, was I the one who was tired or was that my body? Um, you know, and trying to parse that would be another issue yeah. who was who was tired and, yeah exactly. and, and is it even blaming me if i'm blaming my body kind of thing like what does that mean to blame me yeah you know, how far into this thing is me or where where is me so right it, and and then the question arises is blame necessary that's a good one it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, you're not filing an insurance claim, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it has to do with the responsibility too, doesn't it? Responsibility is different from blame. But it, the, the blame party is responsible in a sense, if you go with that. You, you've assigned that, you've assigned that responsibility. And that means that you have a causal model at play, right? That's why this person is responsible. And, um, and so there are a lot of issues of responsibility and power that are part of our understanding of uh, cause and effect relationships. So, so is the parent responsible for the child or is the child responsible to the parent? There's mutual responsibility, right? And in effect, they construct each other. You can't actually be a parent without a child. That doesn't exist. So, um, so it's very interesting. I think I really think it's in um, families that you start to really see the mutual causality. We're the cause of each other, and um, and that we create the causes and conditions through our causal models for distress and suffering with each other, um, for upset or for harmony and wisdom. So that's the, the idea that those things can be intentional in some way, that we can set an intention for that is something we don't often look at. We think the causal model we have is a given. It's just given by the universe. Um, and so I think that this is why it's, I think it's going to be fun to really look at these models and also to look at what's the potential in what the Buddha's teaching. What's, what is the potential for liberating us from being trapped in a model that creates suffering for ourselves and for others by our assumptions of cause and effect? Yeah, and, um, and I think he was really adamant about this. He just taught it over and over and over and over again. And, um, and, and he equated this with the Dhamma. This is what he discovered. This is, as Joanna Macy says, 
this is what happened during his enlightenment that can be conveyed conceptually. <clears throat> that we actually can uh, study and understand. So, um, and, and, and this idea that is, um, uh, that we're talking about requisite conditions, we're not talking about causes that are linear causes. So these conditions existing bring into being this other thing. If they didn't exist, that wouldn't come into being. But you can't say that birth causes death. You know, you just can't say that. All you can say is that uh, birth is a condition for death that all beings that die have been born, right? So it's a requisite condition but it's not a cause of death. Cause of death is poisoning or cause of death is auto accident or cause of death, you know, like uh, the um, subtlety of this teaching is really, really surprising because you keep bumping into our attempts to recreate a causal model that's familiar, uh, a linear causal model, because it makes things simpler. It's what happens when people ask you, why do you meditate? I mean, you should be able to give a simple causal explanation. I meditate to lower my blood pressure. I meditate to be less angry, you know, but it doesn't work like that. So you'd have to kind of do violence to the phenomenon and the experience to create that kind of a construct. <clears throat> but even, even, um, even if I say I, the glass broke because I hit it on the counter, other days I've hit it on the counter and, and it didn't break. That's right. That's right. And why so, is it, why so is that a true? Why is what? Why is there a glass? I mean, part of the cause of breaking the glass is that there has to be a glass, right? Yeah. So, um, so this is why, you know, I really, I can hardly wait until my little granddaughter is old enough that I can tell her Flint's answer to the why questions, which is because of everything else in the universe. And, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh teaches about this all the time, what, you know, how the, in a piece of paper, there's sunlight that, you know, uh, that helped the tree grow that, you know, it's, it's soil nutrients, water, there's transport, there's milling, you know, like, so all of a sudden you start to see that many of our taken for granted assumptions just, you know, are very, very naive. Okay, Chet, you had a question. You're muted yeah. though. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, my question is, this was fascinating because it's very difficult for me. I spent so much time creating these causation models in my head that I'm now, and I see the suffering that I'm causing myself and other people and um, just getting to the, the superficial way of realizing how deep that goes within me personally. Is the goal for me to understand, to see those causal models that I'm operating in first just to see them or and then once I see them, will I be able to drop away from them a little bit better? I mean, is was Buddha's goal to see them, witness them as they are, but not be captured by them, but still be present to them in the sense, or should I let that take care of itself in the sense, just to notice what I'm saying? Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it in that way. This is a liberation project. So anything that constrains your thinking, by definition, you're not free. So... Mm -hmm. This um, teaching of the Buddha, when we begin to see, oh, there are causes and conditions that bring this into being, chances are really good 
I haven't seen all of them, right? I, I fastened on one or two that I think are the ones, um, but chances are really good. I haven't seen the whole picture. And when I see the whole picture, um, I'm free of a constraining model that this causes this, um, or that this is an effect of this cause, right? <clears throat> when I'm free of that, I have a much larger view, this really horizonless view, um, which means that when I speak or think or act, I'm um, sort of effortlessly fostering the causes and conditions of more freedom and mm -hmm. more compassion and more wisdom. Wow. Right? I'm not the cause of that um, any more than uh, I could be the cause of Appamata, right? I can't be the cause of Appamata. <clears throat> I can create and foster my piece of the causes and conditions that help enable Appamata to thrive, right? Uh, but without everybody else having a similar kind of um, aspiration or intention, not going to happen. It's just so subtle because I'm using so much effort because I want to understand things better. So I don't want to draw up away from the seeking of understanding better wisdom. No, no, you absolutely should not. I mean, a big part of this path is investigation. And we're just investigating this model or this. I want to investigate, but I don't want to get caught in the the um, paradigm of the causation. The, I want to know the risk associated with my explorations into this cause, you know, mutual arising versus causation. There's a huge risk. And the yeah. risk is almost entirely to the ego. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. The ego that yeah. either thinks I'm to blame or other people are to blame and I'm a victim or, you know, um, it's a combination of factors, me and the other people, or, you know, I mean, it's, it's a way of constructing an, an ego self that has some substance, right? Mm. Um, which in your case might be the one who knows. Yeah, you know? that's right. That's right. The one who finally actually knows. Can you um, imagine the suffering I'm inflicting on everybody, including myself, everybody around me right now? You know, so well, thank uh, you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's and this is one of the um, I think daunting things about practice is when you encounter that, and you realize you're still caught. Yeah. You know, and um, and we're going to continue to be caught until we're free, and that's binary. That's not gradual. There's no, there's no gradual path to liberation. You're either caught or you're free. It's quite binary. You're either awake or you're not. Um, so this is our challenge from our sort of somnolent state uh, where we're believing all our models and we have all these self-constructs and everything to begin to see more clearly. Um, it's quite painful in the beginning because you see oh, everywhere I look, I'm creating wreckage, you know, um, <clears throat> and I'm caught in it. Um, but that realization is the beginning of fostering new causes and conditions for wisdom and compassion. And that's what this path is. That's why we consider ourselves really fortunate to have found this path um, where we can stop, as Flint says, making things worse. Yeah. But it is, it's very daunting, I think, um, because we see um, more and more clearly and what we see is what we're imprisoned in. So in some ways we've been numbing ourselves to that reality, um, which has made us feel comfortable, but which is not freedom.
Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. So Kim, do you still have your hand up? Oh. <laughs> okay. I see we're at the end of our time. This is a, it's really a pleasure for me um, to have the opportunity to explore these ideas with you. And, um, and always when I'm teaching something like this, it helps me experience it more deeply, get a little bit more uh, clarity myself about it. So it's a shared enterprise. It's not, I'm not bestowing anything on you. I'm just sharing my uh, reflections and what I'm discovering in my own studies, because I think it might be useful for you. And you can just, you know, over the next course of the next week, just keep asking these because questions. So there's a five sigma process where you ask why, 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 right? Why, why, why? I don't like that process very much because of course the answer to any why question is because of everything else in the universe. But I think we can start to um, appreciate the models that we're holding by asking this, you know, this set of questions. Um, uh, this happened because, and that was because, and that was because, you know, or I'm doing this so that, so that, so that, you know, and you start to see a little more clearly how we're holding our own particular models. So, Thank you so much for being with me today, and I will see you next week. Continue your investigations. <laughs> Pretend you're a three-year-old. <laughs> Thank you, Peg. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye.